This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and holy shnikes, is it freezing down here. I told the guys, hey, why don't you answer some of those letters so we can throw them on the fire? So, in the spirit of keeping warm, we're tackling as many of your questions as possible. Also in our headline segment, there's lots of news on the college front, including how much value is the name of your school worth on your diploma? Here to help us with that and more is the scholarship shark, Pam Andrews. Of course, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and delight you with my heartwarming trivia. And now, two guys who have ice in their veins and investing on their minds, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I don't know about ice in my veins. When it comes to investing decisions, I guess there's ice in my veins, but generally... You're a cold-hearted snake. Look into my eyes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They're not telling lies. Is that, is that like, That's bad that we can quote a... You know, half our audience has no idea what the hell that is. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Obscure Paula Abdul Song podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi. Average Joe Money on Twitter. I can't believe I knew where you were going on that. That's the bad thing. And across yeah, the card table yeah, from me, bad. the Paula Abdul fan club president, Mr. OG. And senior member. That's right. Paula Chairman as, Emeritus. As soon as we finish this, he's going to go back and stand outside your house again, except for the restraining order. As long as I'm 100 feet away, it's okay. How are you, man? Welcome to Wednesday. It is a little chilly, 
I like the idea of starting a fire, although I'm not entirely sure that starting it in the basement is the best place to start a. <laughs> what could what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> you know, a much a much better idea would be to hire somebody who could help us know when and how to start fires because there's professionals all like over a, like a fireman. Yes. Like a man who's in charge of fire, a fireman. That's exactly what firemen do. Isn't it? Don't they start all the fires? Thanks to yes. LinkedIn for supporting stacking Benjamins. That's how we learn everything. LinkedIn jobs matches people to your role based on more who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. Listen to this OG for $50 off your first job post. Go to linkedin.com slash SB that's linkedin.com slash SB terms and conditions apply. Also, thanks to Magnify Money for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, if you're somebody who just walks into the bank and says, what do you got when you're looking for a new bank? I don't understand why you would do that. In the age of the internet, you've got so many choices and they're all available right at your fingertips. All you have to do is put in stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money and you'll find that the average person who goes there saves over $450 either on avoiding fees in their checking account, more interest on their savings account, consolidating their debts, paying less interest to the man, doing the credit card reward game if you pay your bills on time, whatever it is, man, they've got it for you. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. we got a great show today. We've got Pam Andrews helping us with a bunch of great stuff going on in the college uh, planning game and your letters. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from the Washington Post. This is from the Wonk blog. And it's funny, we had a, we had a listener send us this piece, OG. Owning your own home doesn't make you rich. Owning somebody else's does. that title was fantastic in the united states more than almost anywhere else wealth and income are concentrated among business owners and landlords and that club blessed by capitalism is becoming increasingly difficult to join business owners and landlords tend to be about four times as wealthy as the average american that's more than almost any other country included in a new study on the other end of the spectrum renters in the united states tend to have about an eighth as much wealth as the average American. In the recent working paper, Austrian central bank economists Perman Fessler and Martin Schurz used a long-running U.S. wealth survey and its newer European counterpart to compare wealth across continents. It's one of the first such comparisons to look at wealth in terms of what people use it for rather than at arbitrary percentile cutoff points. The widest inequalities they find are between groups inside countries, not across country borders. In their analysis, they split households into three groups, homeowners, whose primary wealth is also their primary residence, for in the bulk of the middle and upper class, business owners and landlords, about 15% of U.S. households tend to be among the wealthiest, their wealth is typically used to generate additional income. Those who pay to rent their residence, about 35% of households, and whose wealth is typically used to cover such needs as emergency expenses or retirement, fill out the bottom of the spectrum. They're joined by homeowners and business owners whose debt exceeds their equity. So on the bottom, they have renters. Then they have business owners and homeowners who have more debt than they have equity. And then regular homeowners. And then they have business owners and landlords at the top. Okay. So far, let me, let me, pray that these guys win a really important prize for this, like the Nobel Prize or something. 
formulaic economic advice or something. I think you're pointing to on one end, the rocket science that is that business owners and landlords are at the top end of the spectrum. No shock there. I think though, there's a false thing here, which is that I think so many people still fall into the fact that you have to be a homeowner to build wealth. And I, I still don't think that's true just because you rent does not mean that that's a bad decision. I, th- I think that can be a fantastic decision for the right person. I, but I think, I think that opinion though lately is just starting to, just starting to become a little more mainstream. I thought you were going to say, is this a chicken or egg thing? The reason that they're at the top is because they're business owners or landowners, not in spite of the fact, <laughs> you know. And the reason that they're not at the top is because they're not business owners or landowners, in spite of the fact. I agree with you on the rent versus buy thing. It's it's really uniquely personal. And I always like talking to people who are, who, who take a look at their rent or something. And they're paying fifteen hundred dollars or seventeen hundred dollars a month, and they say, "Well, gee, it'd be a lot less expensive if I just bought a place." And with that one singular calculation of principal and interest, maybe if you're smart enough to add uh, taxes and insurance to it, you might be even money or just slightly in the positive. Okay, fine. But there's all this stuff about being a homeowner that you don't take care of when you're a renter, usually. Like, you generally move to a bigger place than your rental unit. So you have more area to heat and cool, and you have more area to clean, and you have more grass to mow and snow to shovel and fences to fix when they fall down and screens to replace and, 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 yeah. and I mean, I don't know what you think, Joe, but I, I, I like using an average of 1% of the house value as your annual maintenance budget on your home. Sure. You know, you think about it and you say, well, if I can break even on my house purchase versus renting and I'm buying a $400,000 house, you know, my rent was whatever, you know, $2,000 a month and I'm going to go buy a $400,000 house. Well, firstly, you got to come up with 80 grand or somewhere between 40 and 80, you know, so that's money that's coming out of something else cash reserve yeah. or the market or something. So that changes your, your investment trajectory there. And now you're probably looking at three to $5,000 a year of additional expenses. And that's just if nothing goes wrong. That's running to Home Depot and getting, you know, window caulk because it's spring and you go, oh, I should do that, you know, so the windows don't leak. Or you don't do it and then you've got water in your house and that's a $40,000 repair bill, you know. So it always amazes me. Every time something goes on in our house, like I just, I, it's like one of those you just shake your head and go, well, of course. Well, yeah, air conditioner went down in August and we live in Texas. So the guy came out and he fixed it and he says, I think that there's a leak, but I put Freon in it. And so at least it'll be, it'll cool down and some sealant. Five weeks later, the air conditioning wasn't cold anymore. And he came back and he said, I really think there's a leak. I'm like, you think? <laughs> Maybe. And he says, but I'm going to put some sealant in there and see if it'll fix it. And I'll give you some Freon. He came back the third time since August 1st and said, okay, guys, seriously, there's a leak. Let's fix this for you. And I said, okay, yeah, fine. It's been $350 every time he's come out for service. How much is it to fix? 1700 bucks. Holy moly. Winter and chicken that's just, dinner. This is normal house repair stuff, right? Your AC unit goes, eh, I don't want to play anymore. You know, so it's beyond, especially with the homeownership, it's just beyond the math of principal and interest taxes and insurance. 
And that's what I think you have to learn there. I think on the other side, a lot of people look at this uh, wealth pyramid and they see business owners and landowners at the top. And you think, of course, but I think it has a lot to do with your goals. I've seen a lot of people not cut out to be either a business owner or a landlord. They just don't want anything to do with that. And, And it's funny because I also see people talk about how to build wealth. And it so depends on what your end game is. If your end game is being uber rich, you can't save the way Dave Ramsey tells you to save. You have to build a company like Dave Ramsey did. <laughs> you know, you got to do you got to do things a little different. But if you're looking for financial peace and you're looking for harmony in your life and your expenses don't end up getting in your way all the time, these past mistakes that you made, well then you look for an even foundation and diversification and making sure that you have no debt and uh, a lot of the basic core financial tenets of a solid financial plan. Yeah, there's a big difference between turning your life into a never-ending stream of income and saving your way to financial independence. Like you said, if you're trying to do the, I want a company that produces $25 million a year of income to me, your path is going to be a whole heck of a lot different then if you say, I want enough money that I can take $75,000 a year out of an account and never run out. And in our second headline today, a piece from CBS Money Watch, Harvard's admissions trial, the value of a Harvard diploma. This piece is written by Amy Peachy. It says Harvard's admission process is under trial with the Ivy League College defending itself from allegations it discriminates against Asian Americans. Whatever the outcome, it won't change the underlying fact that a Harvard degree remains one of the most valuable in the country. A decade after graduation, Harvard grads earn median annual pay of 129000 or 58% more than the 81600 in median annual pay earned by non-Ivy League college graduates. Here to help us work through this and also some other news going on in college land from the Scholarship Shark, it's our good friend Pam Andrews. How are you? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you're here. This is this surprising to you that Harvard grads earn 129 versus 81,600 for people that aren't Harvard grads? It's not surprising. And I think a lot of it is definitely the reputation of the institution and then a lot of the relationships and connections that are made while there and uh, legacy as well. So that that doesn't surprise me at all. I think that's an important point though is the relationships. It seems to me that Having a piece of paper says Harvard is one thing. You kind of got to work it, I would think, though. Absolutely. Now, I know some students who graduate from highly selective schools and don't do as well because they don't work those connections. They don't take advantage of those networking opportunities and connecting with their, you know, with the alumni and getting plugged in and using the name of the school and, and their credentials. But if you have it, use it. It seems like no matter what school you go to, Pam, you should definitely try to network with people from that school. I grew up uh, just north of uh, Notre Dame, and I know Mm -hmm. Notre Dame has a reputation of graduates taking care of each other as well. Absolutely. (laughs) And my institution as well. I mean, I went to North Carolina Anti-State University, and I've gotten a couple of speaking engagements as a result of being an Aggie alum. So it's a balance. You can pick a school that's not as well known and and still do well. It's what you do with it. But if you go there, make the most of it and take advantage of your alumni networks, your connections, network in your new town. You know, so it's it's what you do with it that makes the difference. I think people long out of college even forget that. Like still, you know, if you're struggling to network, go back to your alumni roots. But you have 
a couple other things that uh, you and I have been talking about a lot lately. A couple schools offering free tuition. Absolutely. So let's start. We'll start with the graduate level first. NYU announced this year, and, and imagine being in the school already, and you get the announcement of your tuition is covered. And that's not based on need. So it's tuition only. So with the cost of attendance, there's tuition, room and board fees, books, travel expenses, exam fees, things like that. But the tuition part is covered for current students and then incoming students. And it looks like they're, you know, they're making the pledge to continue to do it. So um, and that's about $55,000 a year, which is very significant. So over three years, four, uh, four years, they have a three-year accelerated program and their four-year MD program. So, I mean, we're talking $200,000. I mean, that's a significant savings. How is this paid? I mean, NYU is not a small name. Is this paid for through endowments? It is an endowment. I'm not sure who the donor is, but it is through an endowment. Wow. Yeah. So they want to be able to increase people going into the medical profession to ease the burden so that they, you know, it's it's being viewed as a serving and helping profession. So this is their big reason for doing this so that students are able to pursue medicine for the reasons why they chose to go into medicine, yeah. which is to help others. Well, so. especially since now we're hearing about doctors that are in their 50s and 60s still fighting student loans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So so I went, okay, Pam, NYU, that's a big name, but I, but I think the other one is even more surprising. Yeah. So Rice University, which is in Houston, they have a new, it started this year as well, and I call it money for the middle. This is for families with income under $130,000. They will pay no tuition. Can you imagine that? A lot of people can fall in that category potentially. Of course, the key is getting into Rice. It's very competitive right. to get into their program. And you know, you want to make sure with any school that it is a good fit, that it has the major you're looking for, the right campus environment. But if all those things line up, then this could really be a good option. Is this competitive? I mean, Rice is already so competitive. I know. So their whole motto is talent deserves opportunity. The founder stated, you know, a long time ago that they always wanted to be able to provide opportunities for people with talent. So they're hoping to attract very talented individuals and not have money be the reason why a student wouldn't pursue an education at Rice. So, and that's full tuition. So that's fantastic as well. That man, talk about two great universities and names on your paper that yeah. are big names that, that this will happen. While we have you, I have to ask you a couple of questions. Number one, people that are juniors and seniors in high school this year, what should they be doing right now? Juniors should have just taken their PSAT, so they'll be getting those results back soon. I always tell students, if you're taking the PSAT, which is the preliminary SAT, in your junior year, that's where it really qualifies and counts for the National Merit Scholarship, to go ahead and continue to take other tests. Because if you're testing, just keep working that testing muscle. So take the SAT, take the AC, prep, carve out October, November, December for a nice testing season and not wait until the spring. Of course, seniors right about now should be getting those applications in. Uh, at the time of this recording, the November 1 deadline will have passed. The next big deadline would be November 15th, typically December 1. So keep an eye on deadlines, two deadlines. Number one, any early action and not early decision. And the, the difference is early decision is binding. So if you're going to an early decision school, you're committing to that school and you've made a decision to pull any other applications once you've been accepted. But for most families, it's better just to go early action. So take a look at your early action, any priority deadlines. 
And then if you're visiting schools, ask, are you waiving application fees? Because, you know, when you apply in addition to SAT expenses, ACT expenses, application fees can really rack up. So ask if if you're going to waive application fee for students who visit. Some schools do. Sometimes you have to ask. Sometimes they'll make it known when you actually do a visit. So that's just kind of a a little extra thing to consider, but definitely get those applications in and at the same time apply for scholarships. I love that idea of asking if that can get waived and uh, there's a few bucks there, but it surprised me that you, you would say of all people, the scholarship shark to look for scholarships. That's very surprising. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do do people find out more about you and the scholarship shark? Absolutely. My website is www.thescholarshipshark.com. And I'm also on Facebook, Scholarship Shark, and Instagram, where I hang out with young folks at The Scholarship Shark. Awesome. And we'll link to all those. And also, when uh, Pam and I really dug into a lot of this earlier on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Thanks for coming back down to the basement. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me. I don't know, man. This idea of free tuition. On one end, I think, oh, hey, that's great. Because knowing some doctors and how much money they've spent on their education, I think that's a lot of money. But on the other side, isn't there something to be said for some skin in the game and how seriously you take it when you have skin in the game? Well, I just wonder, like eventually somebody's got to pay for it, right? Coming out of endowments? Is that kind of where they're... No, no, no. Yeah, it's absolutely being paid for. But I think the student having skin in the game, I think is a little important. I don't know. We'll see how this works. It's in, I mean, those are fine schools. I can't. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, my kids are going to Rice. Turns out they make under 125000 so <laughs> the, boom, problem solved. There you go. Yeah. I think our lessons there, number one is there is value in uh, the name on a diploma going back to Harvard, but it definitely depends on how, how much you take advantage of that while you're there. You can't just show up at Harvard and expect it to give you more money. I think you have to realize that that name means something and and work it. And then I think the other lesson is uh, renting doesn't mean you have to be in the bottom of the, of the pyramid. Big day today because we are covering your letters. We got a stack of them here again. Last time we tried to answer a bunch of them and we got to exactly three. So we'll hooray, pick easier ones for crying out loud. Hooray us. Oh, no, no, no. We can't do that. We've got some great ones, though. So here we go. You ready? Our first uh, letter today comes to us from Anna. Anna says, hey there, I've got a question about 529 plans. And for those of you that don't know what those are, those are college savings plans. Speaking of college, my parents want to open a 529 for my daughter, who's two. I already have one open in my state of Nevada, but probably won't be adding much money to it just now as my husband and I are still trying to bulk up on our retirement and and biggin, doubt that's a real word, but whatever, the emergency stash. But I like the word and biggin. I want to and biggin my emergency stash. Mm-hmm. My parents live in another state, and I am assuming they'll be getting some kind of tax break from opening the plan themselves. I don't necessarily have a problem with that part, but I have some concerns. One, how will that affect her getting financial aid? I've read some mixed reports online that it won't affect it at all. Others saying it can really screw her over as it would show up as her income. We can cover that right now. Yeah, this one's real easy. Nope. Doesn't affect it. Does not at all. 
Number two, if I let my parents do this, what happens to the money that I have already put into our plan? Should I contribute to it also when we can? Is there a benefit to having two 529 plans? Let's go ahead and cover that one right now. Well, there's not a benefit or a negative to it. The only thing that you're ever going to run into is the maximum contribution per beneficiary. So... Uh, whatever that number is now, 392000 or something, as long as mom and dad and you collectively don't plan on putting in more than that, which by the way, I've never in 20 years met anyone who's gotten close to maxing out a 529. But apparently they exist somewhere. As long as you don't get to the max, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and you can pull money out of as many different 529 plans as you want. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You could open... It's like a checking account. You could have 100 of them. Yeah, you could open... Yeah, five different ones, and uh, if if you're one or two, like I said, yes, diversification. Even though there's less than fifty of them available, fake news. Actually, there there are two in some states, aren't there? Many states have two or three, even. Yeah, good point. Uh, Three. What happens if my much wealthier parents fund her whole education with theirs, and I've got mine collecting dust? I've got no other children on the horizon, and don't plan on going back to school, so I'd have to pay penalties. All right, let's just think through this. My parents have fully funded my kids' education to the tune of 70 to 150 grand, give or take. And the downside is on the 10 grand you've saved, you might have to pay a thousand buck penalty. Well, I'll she, take that trade. But, but, but she doesn't know if that's the case. She doesn't know if she will pay a penalty. The answer is yes. Should I be less snarky? Put some velvet on your hammer, buddy. <laughs> now, she can actually, if she's the, got... <clears throat> I'm sorry. Let me try again. <clears throat> uh, well, yes, there would be a penalty involved if you withdraw the proceeds <laughs> for anything other than... Much, much better. Formal education. But quit you complaining. Now, even though you, you, you couldn't help it, could you? You couldn't help it. No, no. I can't even. It's like a, it's like a glitch. Had to go there. Mm-hmm. My thought is, there's a few thoughts. It doesn't have to be traditional school. I mean, as long as it's an accredited cooking school or flight school or even golf lessons at an accredited higher education place. I don't know how to right. say that appropriately. Uh, you can use the money. So if you're interested in learning about anything, you can use it for that and not pay the penalty. The other thing is if you've got nieces or nephews, you can gift it to, let's say a brother or sister, and then niece and nephew can use it. And that'd be super nice. And you probably are going well, to do that. Or you just save it for your grandchildren. Yeah, you could do that too. You could pass it on to your kids with your grandkids as the, uh, as the beneficiary. Yeah. Lots of things you can do. It really can become the Anna family education trust. Yeah. If you start it soon enough. I mean, really, this just boils down to communication, I think, more than anything. And I know that it's a little uncomfortable to talk about money with people. But when it involves your kids and your financial plan, I think that you get, I think you get a pass on that. So you could just be pretty straightforward with mom and dad and say, hey, you know, we really appreciate you helping out with kids school and I'm so grateful that you'd even consider it. But so we can work our financial plan. Can you give me a sense of what you're planning on contributing? You know, because if they go, oh, we got it covered. We put in 14 grand a year for every grandkid because we're uber rich and we're trying to get it out of our estate. And that's what our financial advisor told us to do. And you're never going to have to worry about college. Cool. Now you go on to plan, you know, number two on the list for you. If they say, oh, 
we're putting $50 a month in, you know, now you have a different plan. Can't say enough about intergenerational planning and uh, not enough families do that. Well, and it's just the whole money is taboo subject thing. You know, if you want to have a really fun, exciting Thanksgiving holiday dinner, talk about the differences in your siblings' earnings, talk about religion, and talk about politics. And you'll have just the makings of a fantastic Thanksgiving Thanksgiving dinner. Start gearing up all those topics in the most awkward way possible now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Bob, I hear that uh, you got laid off again. Boy, it must be really hard to make ends meet. You know, did I tell you that we just got back from the Bahamas? You know, that's that's a really nice segue transition. You could, you know, right as you're about to say grace, you know, Thanksgiving go, you guys don't actually believe in this malarkey, do you? Just see how that goes over. <laughs> my brother-in-law... My brother-in-law had gained some weight uh, a few... Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, appearance. Physical appearance is always oh, a good thing to look oh, at. This is absolutely horrible. Cheryl's Cheryl's uncle, who's in his early 80s, he's sitting at the table, and the table is really quiet. There's maybe 15 of us around this big extended table where they have the card tables along the end of it to extend it, so everybody's sitting at <laughs> yep. this long thing. And he turns to Cheryl's brother and said, so, uh, Todd, when's the baby due? Nice. It was, nice. it was absolutely horrible. It was like the worst. Yeah. It was the worst thing ever. I'm like, oh my God, welcome to Thanksgiving. And then right as you're about to like take a big scoop of that cranberry, then just go, or grandpa's about to, you go, so what do you guys think about that wall? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and, and here, or instead of that, just talk about your 529 plan. Oh my goodness. So just absolutely Absolutely. Uh, Family Conversations by OG. Isn't, it, like a new isn't it fun? Getting ready for the holidays is so fun. But uh, Anna Anna then, uh, speaking of her parents, she says, I, th- I think I'd rather just have them contribute to our 529 plan if they wanted to. But then would they still get tax incentives to do so since my state has no income tax? The answer is no, but they also might be putting it in for other reasons. So I think you'd have to find out if they do get a tax break. Tax break's not that big in these states. And a lot of times it does cap out on income and that sort of thing. So maybe a little bit of mis- little misleading, but don't look a gift horse in the mouth. If mom and dad want to put it in whatever 529 they want to put in, just let them do it. You know, don't get in the way. They've already said yes. That's right. <laughs> just, 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 ex- just smile and wave. Accept go, the gift. Cool. Yeah. Yep. Anna says, I feel like I asked a lot of questions there. Yes. Yes, you did. That is also a f- affirmative statement. She said, sorry and thank you. You're wonderful. Well, the OG is on board with that. He He's very sure he is very wonderful. So thanks for the question, Anna. Our next question comes to us from Keith. Why are you giving me that look? Next question comes to us from Keith. Keith says, if I were in a situation of receiving money from an inheritance, 50000 I have no idea what my first move should be to make that money grow. I want to purchase a car. I have decent credit, but no job. I don't want to purchase the car with cash. My main objective is to begin growing the money. $50,000, no job, wants to buy a car. So uh, the dichotomy or juxtaposition to $15 words in one sentence, frankly, back to back. Bam. Um, Do you get like double points for that? It's a Scrabble killer. I mean, I just I destroy you with dichotomy and juxtaposition. You're done. Game over. Of the beginning part of your sentence and the the second part of your sentence is just is is mesmerizing. I want to have my money grow. 
I also want to buy a car. <laughs> Those are not things that go together. Your money growing and buying a car. I don't know why you wouldn't want to pay cash for a car if you have it. Probably because you look and you go, well, shoot, brand new cars are like 40 grand. This would take up all grandma's money. And then in like six years from now, I will throw this thing in the junkyard and I'll have like 5,200 bucks for it. That's a really stupid use of money. So if you need to buy an automobile for transportation, why not buy something that's very inexpensive, something that's going to last for five or 10 years with good upkeep, but not maybe brandy new and it accomplishes both things. If you're not working, I can only imagine that you have some bills. So if that's the case, you've got to kind of keep your money pretty close to the vest. You can't invest it because tomorrow you have to pay rent or you have to put food on the table. So that's really important. But if you get past all those things, then I don't see why you don't don't invest it for the long term. I mean, you can do a couple of Roth IRAs if you're married. It's almost the end of the year. So even if you're not, you can do this year's and next year's. You know, that that's 11000 of those dollars and have the rest of the money just in a regular brokerage account. Pick a yeah. couple of ETFs and off you go. Assuming don't that, touch it for 50 years. Assuming that no job equals no income, and that's an assumption. We don't know that. I yeah. think the first thing, Keith, you've got to solve is the income problem because the hesitancy I'm hearing in OG's voice all has to do with the fact that it's very difficult to invest for the long term when you need to spend stuff over the short term. So the more you can minimize those expenses, the better. Obviously, a car is a way to get to work. So if it is an income issue, then having a reliable automobile to get you there is important, but also less expensive means more money for for the future. So um, yeah, tough, tough to recommend investments when I'm not sure about income. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question, Keith. Next question comes to us from Jessica. Jessica's got uh, a couple different questions. She says, what do you think of the new You Invest platform by J.P. Morgan Chase? How does it compare to M1 Finance or Vanguard? As a brand new investor, what platform would you recommend I use to start investing? Thanks, Jessica. I don't have an opinion about the new You Invest platform by Chase. I've never run into it yet. I've just seen it in headlines, so I'm not sure anything about it. But I don't think that it matters in the long run. Any of these are basically built exactly the same. M1, Vanguard, Chase, Betterment, Wealthfront. Schwab. Schwabs. They're all built on the hope that when you start investing as a new investor, that you will continue to use that platform as your investing life goes. Whether it's Chase, they want to continue to get deeper wallet share, if it's Wealthfront, it's all the same thing. Personal Capital is another example of a platform designed to capture wallet share. I don't think it matters, whichever one you want to use. If you've got a relationship with Chase, use Chase's. If you like Vanguard, use Vanguard. It doesn't matter as you're getting started. What matters is, is that you get started. What matters is that whatever you put in, you never stop for the rest of your life. If you start with $50 a month, start with $50 a month. And never, ever, ever, never, ever, 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 never, ever, ever stop it. No matter what happens, stock market up, stock market down, and increase it as frequently as you can. That's the thing that really matters. I think it's time for you and I to grab uh, another cup of coffee. And uh, got a quick little break here in the middle because Doug is uh, so excited about today's trivia. So we'll be right back. 
Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You ever just sit back and reminisce about the good old days? The 90s were a great time with Nirvana and TLC and cell phones that probably gave you radiation poisoning and the birth of the internet. But do you know what was a truly great decade? The 70s. Just think about the bell bottoms, the golden age of the El Camino, and fuzzy dice were all the rage. Did those ever actually go out of style? I submit that they did not. But the 70s weren't just good for Doug's style. It was also good for the Dow Jones. Check out this trivia question. On this day in 1972, the Dow Jones crossed an important milestone. What was it? Whenever you read anything entrepreneurial, they always talk about how important it is to hire the right people. And you see unsuccessful businesses, or you walk into a business that you're fairly certain isn't that successful. And you can tell why immediately. You're like, I can't figure out how this person got that job. So you may already know this, but the right hire makes a huge impact on your business. And it's super important to find the right person. But here's the big question. Where do you find them? You can try posting on job boards, but can you be really certain that the right person sees your job? Instead, find the person who's going to help you grow your business with LinkedIn. As the world's largest professional network, people go to LinkedIn every day to grow professionally and discover job opportunities. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already there. LinkedIn jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are. It shows their skills, their interest, and even how open they are to new opportunities. In this way, your job gets seen by more of the right people. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but listen to this. Nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities, so you can only reach them on LinkedIn. That's why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn, and businesses rate LinkedIn 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. As always... You get a big bonus for listening to the Stacking Benjamin Show. When you're making your next hire, if you use our link, linkedin.com slash SB, you'll get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash SB for $50 off today. Terms and conditions apply. We're also excited that Stacking Benjamins is brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, we talk all the time about how you can save $450 by heading to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money. When you're looking for those tools you use every day, like your checking account, savings account, credit card rewards, student loan refinance, personal loans, whatever it might be. But you may not know they also have an award-winning blog over at Magnify Money. In fact, I'm going to the blog right now. There's always product reviews there. Currently on top is a Bank of the West review. Below that, a blog post about what happens to debt after you pass away. How much does it cost to file for bankruptcy? Best money savings apps. Lots of cool tools and information at the Magnify Money blog. Not only that, by the way, you can see who makes their worst bank list, their credit myths pieces, and much more. I also like the calculators at Magnify Money, Snowball versus Avalanche Calculator, Money Personality Quiz, Balance Transfers versus Personal Loans, Credit Card Payoff Calculators, Personal Loan Calculator, How Much House Can You Afford, and more. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money, the place to go when you're diving into your financial situation and cleaning up your debt and getting your financial house in order. 
Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. I know how many of you are patiently waiting for the guys to answer your letters, and there's probably a few pieces of fan mail coming up the stack for you-know-who. So let's not hold you for too long. Let's get right back to your trivia, shall we? Here was your trivia question. On this day in 1972, the Dow Jones crossed an important milestone. What was it? On today's date, way back in 1972, the Dow Jones crossed the 1,000-point mark for the very first time. Have you ever felt like the market hasn't been doing much? Check this out. The Dow Jones was at just over 26,000 last week. Makes you wish you had something invested back in the golden age, huh? Well, there's good news and bad news. Bad news is you can't. But the good news is if you start now, you can say, I was there when it crossed 500,000, just like I was at Woodstock. See ya! Hey, OG, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at the Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're putting what you value first. Yams and cranberry sauce. Oh, God, I can't stand either one of those. Oh, it's the nastiest stuff. I'll tell you what I... Why do we suffer through that crap on Thanksgiving? uh, Every stinking year, too. People insist. You gotta have the sweet potatoes and marshmallows and... I'll I'll tell you what I do like that I only get on holidays. Hmm. When they do the green bean casserole and they put the little onion stuff on the top... I just, I you know, just, they sell that at the grocery store. I just scrape the onion stuff off the top. That's it. They do amazingly. Yeah, all year round, as a matter of fact. That's the miracle that keeps Not on giving right there. That, is, that would be is. fantastic. Pick up a six pack of Coors Light and some of that topping. For they're the, like they're like readily edible funyuns. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And because they touched a green bean, they're way healthier. It's vegetables. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, don't like those. But in this case, Haven Life says it's your loved ones and your time. You want to spend time with your loved ones, of course, around the holidays. That's what you're looking for. So you can ask them when the babies do, because that's what what you do with your loved ones when you have time. In two or three sentences, Grandpa, tell me how you feel about immigration policies in the United States. (laughs) It's it's why. But you have to wait until he's had three fingers of bourbon before you get to that. Because then he'll really tell you what he feels. But thank God you know ahead of time because he's already put it on Facebook. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. our, our friends, at, our, uh, our friend, I, I'm losing my place. It's why Haven Life is made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Application process is simple. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, all policies issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, who's more than 160 years old. That's an old company, 160 years old. Today, we are throwing out the lifeline to our new friend, Heather. Say hi, Heather. Hey, Joe and OG. Heather here. I hope all is well down in the basement and you're not making mom do your laundry. Quick question about the spousal backdoor Roth IRA. What a mouthful. I'm recently married and my husband and I this year will make more than the income limits required for a Roth IRA. So I plan to do a backdoor Roth IRA. My question is about next year. My husband plans to start attending college in January and will not be making any further income. 
Our combined income, however, will still be above the limits required for a Roth IRA. I've recently heard about setting up a spousal IRA or a spousal Roth IRA in which I can fund up to the $5,500 limits going towards his contribution limits. I was wondering if it's possible to do both a backdoor Roth conversion for myself and also to set up this spousal IRA for him. Let me know, and I appreciate all of your time and what you're doing. Thanks a lot. Bye. Hey, Heather, thanks for the question. And by the way, one of the benefits of uh, working from home is you can bring the laundry over. The good news is, is that Doug generally does it. And we, we I was going to say, we usually have Richie do it. <laughs> we, we, we give it to Doug or Richie and we present that as a perk. Not only do you get to work here, you want to sit down for this next part, you get to do our laundry. It's amazing. Oh, gee, what do you think about Heather's question? Can she do a spousal IRA and the, uh, man, I hate the term backdoor Roth, but uh, can she do those? Hey, Heather, thanks for the message. The short answer is, unfortunately, no. The income limits are the income limits, regardless of you know who makes the income because you're married filing joint. You can't even file married filing separate and do it because the IRS is onto that little trick as well. But what you might be able to do is do the non-deductible contribution, which is what you're talking about for yours in a conversion and do the same thing for your husband, even though he's not working that you would qualify for because there's no tax advantage to doing it. Um, you're eligible to contribute that 5,500. You just don't get a tax break. The thing you want to be aware of as with all Roth conversions is to make sure that you don't have any other IRA assets besides the ones that you're trying to convert because the IRS is very persnickety about that's another one. So you got juxtaposition and persnickety, if you can make those into a Scrabble diagram, you win. About this pro rata rule, which basically suggests you don't get to cherry pick your conversions. If you've got a 401k that you've converted to an IRA that is all pre-tax money, and it's got $500,000 in it, and you say, but I want to convert my just this little teeny tiny $5,000 IRA into a Roth... The IRS looks at it and aggregates all of your pre-tax contributions and then divides it out and says, well, technically, you're just doing a 1% conversion right now. So you want to be real careful with that. Both yours and your husband's would be treated separately there. But as far as contributions go, sorry, the income limit is the income limit. Thanks for the question, Heather. Glad Heather called in. Let's get back to- t-shirt time. Yes. Heather gets a t-shirt. Everyone else gets a nice pat on the back, and we get we answer their question. Heather, uh, Heather, taking home the greatest money show on earth shirt. By the way, I'm I'm drinking out of a. We took one of Brad's designs, a couple of Brad's designs, and we turned them into mugs, which people can get at stackybedjamins.com forward slash store. But check this out: the from the basement one. That's the '50s movie mm-hmm. poster. Now it's a mug. I think I I think I might like this one better as a mug than a T-shirt. I've got the T-shirt too, but the way it looks on a mug is pretty. Pretty fun. From the basement. Very scary. Our next question comes to us from Jessica. Jessica says, hey, I'm a new listener, but I'm loving the show so far. Do have one question I haven't come across yet, and that's about a 457B retirement plan. For my situation, I have a pension plan where I automatically 
where I automatically must contribute 7.5% of my income, and I have the option for a 403B traditional or Roth with no employer match, and I have the option for a 457B traditional or Roth. I also was reading that I could do both. I'm 28, just now starting to invest, and most likely will work into my late 50s or early 60s because I want to. What would you recommend? My main goals during retirement will be to travel, given I'm still in good health. Thanks for the advice, and I'd love to hear this question on the show. Well, guess what, Jessica? You're hearing it on the show. Bam. <laughs> Your wish is our command. It is. That's specifically why we're doing it. Your so, life is now complete. We have some very good news for Jessica. Well, sure. Should I contribute to him? Well, yeah, if you can. If you are in a job that pays you oh, oodles and oodles and oodles of money, and you're putting 7% into the pension plan, and you can do 18.5 into your 403B, and you can do 18.5 into your 457 plan, uh, yeah, do that. That is the cool thing. You're in one of the rare jobs where you can actually do both. And all of it. So I think what she might mean, instead of, hey, how do I put $55,000 into contributions <laughs> per year. And she live, might mean, and if live. I had to pick between these two, which one would I pick? And I like the 403B better. It has a little bit better, generally, a little bit better uh, protections for you than the 457 plan. 457s come in two different varieties. One is a little less safe as it relates to your money versus the money of the organization. And generally speaking, this never comes up. But of course, it will one day and everybody will say, see, I told you so. Uh, that's why you don't put all your money in Enron stock. So just for that reason, that's kind of the order that I would go. If you had the first 18500 to save on top of your pension contribution, I would put that all in the 403B. And then the next eighteen five, I would put in the 457. And a lot of people do this, by the way, especially as your income continues to increase and your family dynamics change and things like that. You can get to those last few years prior to retirement and go, well, I make $62,000. i will put my, or, you know, I'll put my, my 7% in my pension and 39000 into my, my pre-tax plans. My paycheck will be $500 a month, you know, and because you've saved outside of that, it's just a wonderful way to just crater your tax bill and um, just blast money into savings plans in the last, you know, 10 years. I mean, think of it if, this way. If you had 10 years to go, you could save $500,000 in 10 years if you really Bam. put your mind to it. Just amazing. You know? And you'll have a great time living in a tent behind the shed. Yeah. Well, there's that. You can live in a basement. Yeah. It's not all it's that bad. No, it's fantastic. Thanks for that question, Jessica. Unfortunately, I think that's going to do it. And you ready? We got to uh, three people's questions, but of course, no, if, we did four. We did three. Well, then another oh, one, that's then another one. yeah, Heather's. I forgot about Heather's question, so we did four. But um, four letters and a, and a voicemail. No, course, we did four in a voicemail. We did do four in a voicemail. I know. I keep track of this stuff, dude. You know, I got and, it. And I'm uh, a numbers guy. And I can count to four. Anna asked sixteen questions. In well, hers. she did. So, so we got that too. Thanks for all the questions. Uh, that uh, gets us a little closer to cut up. If you've got a question for us, head to uh, stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, it'll show you how to ask questions. Just click on the questions for the show link and it'll show you all the ways to interface with the show, including the Haven Lifeline. So have at it. That's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this here podcast. Mom has been crazy 
putting reviews on the refrigerator. And this review comes from Chris Top 40. Five stars says, wonderful. He says, I've got a fever and the only prescription is more Doug. That is... Uh, uh, uh. Uh, that's fabulous but mom is very happy with that so thanks uh chris top 40 for that if uh, you can leave a review wherever you listen to the show that'll warn people what they're getting into when they listen to stacking benjamins and just before we stick a fork in this og normally at this time in the show we talk about og taking clients no time left for this year but he does have the waiting list up for next year so if you'd like to reserve your spot in line to talk to OG about being and his team about being in your corner for 2019, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, and you'll find the link right there. All right. That's good to do for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? So what did we learn today? First, if you're eyeing colleges, take some advice from Pam Andrews, the scholarship shark dig for scholarships, and look at prices before you apply. Maybe Rice is looking better all the time. Second, thinking about home ownership because you think renting is wasting money? Think again, people. If you aren't staying somewhere long-term, owning a house can be a noose around your neck. Plus, there's maintenance costs and upkeep, and I won't be around to do it for you. Home ownership could be the true waste of money if you're the wrong person. But the big lesson... Don't tell Joe's mom about the Dow Jones crossing a thousand back in 72 unless you want some good old days stories. I mean, how many rock and roll bands did that woman tour with? Jeez. Special thanks to Pam Andrews for joining us. You'll find her advice and coaching at thescholarshipshark.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I just noticed it's just as dark and damp down here as Joe's soul. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Hey, how come I always have to say the amazing Steve Stewart? That Richie kid's pretty cool, and we don't add any adjectives before his name. What about me? How come I'm never the incomparable neighbor Doug, or the unimaginably cool neighbor Doug, or even the unfathomably intelligent neighbor Doug? This place sucks.
and all the way from Boise, Idaho, here for a much better after show than we usually have. It's my good friend, Tanya Stumphauser. Hello, my God. I'm so stoked to be back on your show. It's about time you're back. Where have you been? Oh, man, I've just been all over the place and I uh, just couldn't get together with you to record a podcast. You just uh, you're a very unreasonable man with unreasonable times and unreasonable requests. So it's so me. It's <laughs> absolutely so me. You can tell I've known Tanya a long time because she knows yes. me very well. Yes. All right. You saw a movie. I saw a movie. We talked about it on Twitter and we said, hey, we got to get together and talk films again like we did before. But this is a little movie about a band that I don't think many people have heard of it. Has anybody really Very heard of it? Very underground, yeah. Yeah, a little band called Queen. Let's listen. <laughs> enjoyed the show. I also I write songs. Our lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. I love the way you move on stage. The whole room belongs to you. Don't you see what you could be? No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. There, there's only room for one. This is, of course, the new Queen movie, Freddie Mercury movie called Bohemian Rhapsody stars uh, Rami Malek. Isn't that how you pronounce his name? Yeah, it's funny. I was going to ask you the same thing, but it's Rami. Yeah, I think it's Rami Malek. Yeah. Y- yes. And he's... I thought he was fantastic as Freddie Mercury. I don't want to give away all my feelings about the movie, but but he plays Freddie Mercury and it walks through kind of chronologically the band from the beginning to the end. And if you go online, you find out that while it isn't all completely truthful, I think a lot of it is in service of trying to keep this movie close to two hours because like two hours and 13 minutes. And by the way, to me, it didn't feel that long. Did you feel like it felt long? Not at all. In fact, uh, and we can get to this part. I don't want to, it's hard to like not give away too much information, but of course, everyone knows they did live aid. I would have sat for the entire time to watch them recreate the whole entire live aid performance. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I remember where I was watching that performance. That's me too. Yeah. That's it. You You were about 45 at the time, right? (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Holy cow. I'm sitting right here, Tanya. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, so let's go through this. The acting in the movie. Well, first of all, this movie, a lot of people might not know, even people that saw the film, this film had a hell of a time coming out. They went through, I think, a few different directors. They went through different producers. They had huge fights. They had uh, lots of creative problems bringing it out. But in the end, it really seemed, I don't know, the story seemed pretty tight to me. Okay. So here is what I thought, at least, and let's see if you agree with me. The first half of the film, I would say. Um, And you were talking about how fast it went chronologically, because obviously there was a lot of history there. But the first half of the film felt a little bit almost Disney-esque the way it was put together, meaning like it was very montagey and like, let's hurry up and get through the, you know, first half of their career. 
And they kind of did it where I don't know if the songs were really created the way they were really created or portrayed in the movie, but it didn't even matter to me. Whereas the second, I would say either half of the film or last third of the film, that's where it really kicked in and got into that Oscar caliber kind of filmmaking. So I would say if that was the only thing I noticed was that the first half of the film was more vanilla (laughs) as far as filmmaking goes. And the second half was more Oscar film. I thought, and I love your word of the, or your use of the phrase like Disney-fied or (laughs) Disney-esque, because I kind of felt like the whole movie was that way. It was this romantic idea of needing to be loved by other people and about if Freddie didn't get enough love from other people, that that somehow made his life worse. And I left the film feeling very sad for him and, and, mm-hmm. and, and not because of, and, and probably everybody, everybody listening already knows he passed away of AIDS and that on its own is, is tragic. Cause you think about not that long after he died, did they actually finally come up with some of the drugs that mm-hmm. people need to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that long after. So that part's all tragic, but I didn't feel that tragedy as much as I felt what a sad state of humanity when you need the love of other people that bad. Like he just needed the love of other people. And you got this feeling he was just incredibly lonely. Yeah, I got that exact same impression. It's kind of funny because this is the second film of this season where artists are portrayed that way. Of course, the star is born. We talked about that a little bit offline. Same kind of thing. You know, it's sort of, but I don't doubt that's actually really true. I just watched the Lady Gaga documentary, Five Foot Two on Netflix, and her life seems that way kind of too. And ironically, she's the the other version of that in A Star is Born. But it does seem like that is probably a common thing, especially at superstardom level. And especially when you're the lead singer of a band uh, that's that popular as a lead singer, you're probably getting the most attention, but you're also probably rise to the top faster and fall to the bottom faster. But yeah, I, it's funny. This was supposed to be because Brian May, I guess, was he- I think the whole band was heavily involved in the making of this. This was supposed to be a Queen biopic, but really it still felt like a Freddie Mercury biopic. Yes. Yeah. No, totally did. Definitely focused focused on him way more than anybody else. Did you see, by the way, the cameo of both of those guys? No, I didn't. So during the Live Aid scene, and people haven't seen it yet, you can look for this. During the Live Aid performance, they show that there's people sitting in the scaffolding on the sides. And most of the time it shows these two young guys just sitting there watching. So they show friends of his standing on the side of the stage. And then they show people sitting in the, in the scaffolding. One of the times it's these two older guys and it's totally the two surviving members of queen. Wait, there's another member that died. I didn't know that. Oh no, no, no. Well, it's Brian May. And uh, what's his name? Um, Roger, 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 Roger Federer. <laughs> oh, Roger Federer wasn't in Queen. Is that wrong guy? But yes, yeah, yeah. It's the two of them because they were executive producers and kind of guided the movie, which also I think Disneyfied it too. I think when you've got members of the band mm-hmm. watching over like how you're telling my story, I think they're totally going to make it a Disney version of the film. I have no doubt in my mind that because you you saw how they had some band riffs, of course, in the movie, but I have a feeling the forgiveness portion of the film was not a five minute 
wrap up, you know? (laughs) So yeah, when you're, it it made the uh, two other members of the band look fairly good. And, uh, but I actually, I've seen interviews. So I went and watched a lot of YouTube videos last night after I saw the film and did see a lot of interviews featuring, especially Brian May, who was, I did not know was an astrophysicist. And the other Roger, I wish I would have remembered his last name, was a dentist or he was studying to become a dentist. So Brian May is a smart guy and he definitely does seem like a gentle soul. But yeah, I have no idea. I have no doubt that they wrapped it up in a fairly pretty package yeah. for the audience. Yeah. So two hours and 13 minutes. Was it worth it? I would say if you like their music at all, if you're not a fan of their music or just don't like it, which I don't know who that is. Yes, I would go see it unless you're just not a fan of their music, then maybe wait for Netflix. But I have to say of all the films that I've seen so far this season, I was the most emotionally connected to this. And I mean, I love their music, but you know, it's funny. I wasn't a huge fan growing up. I just, you know, like their songs, top 40, that sort of thing. I did not know much about the history of, especially with his relationship with Mary Austin. I mean, obviously the music speaks for itself, but yeah, it was just so enjoyable. And I, I cried (laughs) during the film and I don't cry at the theater that often, but I cried during the film. I cried for like an hour after I got home, especially, like I said, that last third of the film is just so emotional. I got done with it and I left and I kind of went, eh, okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm like you. I wasn't a huge Queen fan. I like all the songs and I found myself humming the songs. When you find yourself leaving a theater and you're you're singing Radio Gaga, which I even remember (laughs) at the time that that song came out, I didn't like it. And I still don't think it's a one of their best songs, but I was singing it and I'm still singing queen songs. Like I saw this movie five days ago and I'm still walking around singing queen songs and I'm still thinking about Freddie Mercury and about Mm -hmm. the people around him and about uh, the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people and about this idea of loneliness and fulfillment and what, what really makes a life worth living, you know? And it's funny as I left the theater though, Tanya, I wasn't thinking any of those thoughts. I was thinking, yeah, that was okay with pretty good music. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, we definitely connect to movies on different levels. I know that you really liked First Man, and I was kind of like, meh. It was, you know, whatever. I really liked A Star is Born, and you were kind of meh <sighs> on that one, too. But even with A Star is Born, it was emotional. But this, for some reason, I think the whole performance at Live Aid just really got me. And by the way, I actually watched the real Live Aid performance on YouTube last night. And I got to give it up to the filmmakers for getting things so exactly precise, including the uh, Pepsi and the beer that was on the piano and just every little movement that Freddie Mercury made. They did such an amazing job recapturing that. And like Rami Malek, if I'm saying his name right, I definitely think is going to get an Oscar nomination, even if it was like a watered down version of the real story. His performance, he wasn't himself. He was Freddie Mercury. Yes. No, I totally agree. He was so many movies. I see the actor, I see Clint Eastwood or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, even Meryl Streep. A lot of the time I'll just see Meryl Streep playing the part, but I, I saw Freddie Mercury. Yeah. Which was wild. Cause then I saw the real Freddie Mercury and I'm like, Oh, he doesn't look as much like Freddie Mercury as Rami Malek does. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I watched, you know, obviously the movie ends with live aid. I don't think that's giving a huge spoiler, but, you know, he lived life after that. In fact, Queen had recorded some more music. His relationship with Mary Austin continued. And I found out that, uh, I mean, it, he, 
it truly was the love of her life. They just obviously had a different kind of relationship. Love of his life, you mean? Love of his life, yes. yes. And so much so that he had left, I believe, half his fortune or half his estate to her when he passed away and entrusted her to take care of his ashes when he passed away. And he had told her that he wanted her to bury his ashes in an undisclosed location and to never tell a single soul. And she never has. So that's a little fun fact for you. I know that's a fun fact, but it's a fact of that that shows the relationship was unique. Yeah. And, and she's married to somebody else and has a child or children. Um, yes. I mean, wow. I didn't know any that of he's that. The, that he's the godfather of the, the one when he was still alive. But just the fact that you would go look that stuff up shows how much you like the movie. Yeah. I really think you're going to enjoy it. And by the way, I, I, let me mention probably the trailer I think is my favorite trailer of all time. Whoever did the music mashup for that deserves an award because it really gets you to see the film. At the very least, if the story doesn't grab you and I think that it will, I think that, uh, that just the whole idea of how they made these songs, like watching them, like in the trailer, you, everybody heard them uh, making Bohemian Rhapsody, which was hilarious. Everything from their meeting with Mike Myers. Did you even know that was Mike Myers? Yeah, I did know that was Mike Myers. And I was going to mention that I have this in my note that it got a little too meta. If you uh, know what I'm talking about during it and it's meta is fine. If you're talking about a movie like Deadpool, it is kind of not okay. If you're talking about a movie that's supposed to be kind of an Oscar nominated film. Yeah. I knew it was him because it's fat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I, I did think that kind of held it back too, even though at the end of the movie, the, the kind of callback to that character at the end of the movie, I laughed out loud. I think the whole theater laughed out loud when they called back to him. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, at the end? At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, no, tell me offline. So I think it was during the live aid, during the live aid concert, they go back to, to that character watching the live aid concert. Oh yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I remember. Yeah. And our whole theater started laughing, but, um, <laughs> cause it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good callback. Another thing I thought was really interesting is again, I was only a surface level fan of queen. So I didn't, you know, know too much about their history, but I had no idea of his, I guess, ethnic heritage. Is that the right way to no, say me it? Either. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I had no idea what his real name was. That was also a part I cried in was the part where he went back to his, his so, house. So good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So good. I don't know if that happened or not, but it sure as heck got me. That's what I was going to say. I thought some of that stuff was kind of Hollywood, like tying up a lot of loose ends just to make the movie mm-hmm. fit and feel good. Yeah. the If you can overlook all of that, I really think you'll enjoy the film, uh, especially if you're only paying five fifty for it at Edward Cinema in Boise. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, like I should get paid for saying that. That's funny. Ours is uh, $4 at the Cinemark in Texarkana. You so, win. So, yeah, but still, Tuesday at the movie. Best time to go. Yours exactly. is Tuesday also, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But at the very least, I guess what I was saying was at the very least, just how these songs were made. And then these songs that you've heard over and over, no matter how old you are, like We Will Rock You, like how they came up with that song. Never a song that I loved. I was a disc jockey and I'd have to play that song sometimes. And I found it just annoying. But then when you find out why they made it and how they made it, that was neat. And why they made Another One Bites the Dust. I thought that was pretty cool. Like as a kind of a response to, well, I won't give away the whole movie, but just all of the reasons behind these songs, I thought was pretty good. I was disappointed and I will spoil one thing here. So fast forward if you don't want any spoilers, but 
they mentioned You're My Best Friend, which is probably my favorite Queen song, hmm. and they never played it. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there were a couple. It's funny, too. They also played Under Pressure, the song he made with they David did. Bowie. And I was curious to know if that was, was that a Queen collaboration? Was that when he was doing his solo work? I'm not really sure. I just... No, that was song really well. But. Yeah, that was definitely a Queen collaboration. But but my thought time wise was that was actually after Live Aid, but I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but, but but they just played that one kind of in the background as other they stuff did. was happening. But they never played You're My Best Friend and I couldn't figure out why. But we did get Radio Gaga, which is a crappy song <laughs> and I'm still singing it and it's driving me crazy. And do you know that's how Lady Gaga picked her name? Is it really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But if you look that up, I think that is how she picked her stage name. Yeah, if there were only place, song. if there were only place, Tanya, where we could look this stuff up and see if that's real. <laughs> <laughs> we um, uh, we got to go because we're run long. But I did want to say I personally and I've had people write me about how much I dislike A Star is Born. And I still get that Cheryl and I are the only people I know that didn't like A Star is Born. I thought this movie is way better. So, but you like them both. Which one did you like better? Oh man, that's, that's putting me on the spot. They're two kind of very different films, but both about musical stardom and loneliness. So they both, but one is, you know, obviously a true, true story, maybe embellished, but a true story. So you really feel that like emotional connection, knowing that that was like a real person, a real band where a star is born. It's definitely more, it's better acted, better produced, better directed, very kind of raw acting, uh, which I appreciated. So I would say, go see them both. (laughs) I'd say go see Bohemian Rhapsody and I win. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You don't have to go see first man. Save your money. <laughs> I, I get why people don't like first. It, it is slow, but I love the space program and I love what they were talking about. And I love the imagery. I think the director kind of got in his own way a little bit. I really felt the heavy hand and wish it hadn't been so, but I thought Ryan Gosling was really good. Well, I mean, he's always good, but you know, it's funny. I don't prefer Disney esque type of movies that often, but I preferred a movie like hidden figures, which is also about the space program kind of around the similar time. A lot more. I just thought this was very slow, very boring, and too many close-ups. <laughs> All right, last thing. Even if it is, even if it is a Ryan Gosling. <laughs> last, last thing, right, right. I, I can't believe you just said too many close-ups of Ryan Gosling, but whatever. <laughs> the the uh, your favorite movie so far this year? I haven't ever asked you this. So far this year, what's your favorite? Uh, of the Oscar season? Of no, of just everything since January, not including the stuff that was up for Oscars last year that you might have oh, seen God. in January. Killing me. It's a toss up between Bohemian Rhapsody and Deadpool 2. Mm, <laughs> I like both of those films. Mine would be the Mr. Rogers movie. Oh, haven't seen it. Oh my God. You're okay, going cr- to cry your brains out. Okay. A- and then Upgrade. I really liked Upgrade. Ooh, I don't, what is that one? Upgrade was a smaller movie by the same people that did um, Ex Machina. Oh, okay. It's the same people that did Ex Machina and it's very similar. I mean, in tone, it's a near, near to now sci-fi, just, just a little bit in the future and uh, fascinating small movie that didn't get a ton of recognition. I thought it was great, but yeah, Deadpool two was awesome. Oh, so great. And uh, what about you for what you're looking forward to? I'm trying to remember the movies that came out. I don't remember any trailers standing out to me as something I had to see unless I'm just forgetting something. I got to look forward to the the new uh, Fantastic Beast movie. I mean, just take my flipping wallet right now. (laughs) 
it's $4 on Tuesday. I'm totally going to see that. And then, um, and then, you know what, speaking of Disney, the, the Mary Poppins returns movie. Hmm. Yeah. That could be good too, but I'm, I just can't remember anything else. Uh, I know I saw a trailer for the Buell with Clint Eastwood. Speaking of Clint Eastwood, it was I just was, another, ugh. Yeah, I was about to say that. I'm like, I am torn on that movie. Part of me goes, it's Clint Eastwood and he's so good movies. And then I just watched the whole trailer. I'm like, yeah, I think I can miss that. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If, if the reviews come back strong, I'll be all over it. But, uh, but yeah. Hey, before we let you go, what's going on at Budget in the Beach? Well, uh, Budget in the Beach, despite me living in Boise, is still going. I'm not planning on changing the name anytime soon. Budget in the uh, Boise. Budget, Yeah. <laughs> Boise in the budget. I don't know. Yeah, so. Um, so yeah, I'm just continuing to write there. So visit me at budgetinthebeach.com. And uh, I have a new series on YouTube called Tanya Talks, which you can find the link on Budget in the Beach. So check that out. And uh, yeah. I like and your- hire me. <laughs> I'm freelancing now. <laughs> hire Tanya to do all things video, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. She's very, very good at it. She is a phenomenal, phenomenal resume. So uh, that's great. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. And I'm so happy we agreed on Bohemian Rhapsody. Nice job. High five. <laughs> <laughs> for what, dude? I mean, sorry. Shut up. Don't, don't, don't. Oh, God. <laughs> well stackers the show might be over but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that i want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law eric who is such a giving person eric will do just anything for you and as a marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.